You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hi, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan. I work here at the Augustan Institute, and today I'm joined with Dr. John Seahorn. Thank you for being with us. Dr. Seahorn is the academic dean at the graduate school here and a professor of theology. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to talk about the first martyrs of the Church of Rome. What can you tell us about them? Well, um, yeah, good. To begin. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, that's that's exactly the right place to start. So um, on June thirtieth, the uh, the Church commemorates uh, the first martyrs of the, of the Church of Rome, and um, this refers specifically to the Christians uh, who lost their lives um, under persecution by the Emperor Nero. Okay. Um, what was the time period of Nero? Yeah. So, um, well, this particular this particular um, uh, event happened in the year sixty four. We can date it uh, very well. So, in uh, July of the year sixty four, mm. there was um, just a devastating fire that broke out in the city of Rome. Um, I think it it uh, burned for five days before okay. it was before it was put out. And um, what's interesting is that there were rumors. Uh, that Nero himself, <clears throat> excuse me, was behind it, hmm. right? And and uh, it does seem to be the case that with uh, he sort of took advantage of the ground that it cleared to build himself a palace. So it didn't seem totally ah. uh, implausible. Uh, although he was out of town when it happened, so that doesn't mean he couldn't have arranged it. But we know he didn't Sounds light the match. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does sound a little bit uh, suspicious. Um, well, because there were these uh, rumors going around that Nero himself was um, uh, was culpable for um, this absolutely uh, tragic uh, fire, hmm. he decided to find a scapegoat. And so actually, our only kind of um, historical record of this persecution, there are Christians who write about it later, but um, the only one that tells us about the fire and about um, kind of what, what caused the persecution um, is in the Roman historian Tacitus. Uh, and it's, it's not very long, so I'm just going to uh, read it, if that's okay. Please, that'd be great. All right. So um, let's see. It says, um, neither human resourcefulness. This, Sorry, by the way, this is from his work, The Annals, and this is the uh, Oxford World Classics translation uh, of The Annals. And this is found in book, uh, book 15 uh, of this work. Uh, it says, neither human resourcefulness, nor the emperor's largesse, nor appeasement of the gods could stop belief in the nasty rumor that an order had been given for the fire, right? So Nero has to do something else. To dispel the gossip, Nero therefore found culprits on whom he inflicted the most exotic punishments. Hmm. These were people hated for their shameful offenses, whom the common people called Christians. The man who gave them their name, Christus, or Christ, hmm. had been executed during the rule of Tiberius, right? That was uh, the emperor at the time of Christ, and by the procurator Pontius Pilate. The pernicious superstition, he's referring here to Christianity, hmm. the pernicious superstition had been temporarily suppressed, but it was starting to break out again, not just in Judea, the starting point of that curse, but in Rome as well where all that is abominable and shameful in the world flows together and gains popularity. Wow, strong words. Yeah, and then he goes on. I'll, I'll, um, this, this is where he actually describes what Nero did. And so at first, those who confessed were apprehended, and subsequently, on the disclosures they made, a huge number were found guilty, right? So they're rounding up Christians. Mm. 
more because of their hatred of mankind than because they were arsonists. As they died, they were further subjected to insult. Covered with hides of wild beasts, they perished by being torn to pieces by dogs. Or they would be fastened to crosses, and when daylight had gone, burned to provide light, lighting at night. Nero had offered his gardens as a venue for the show, and he would also put on circus entertainments, hmm. mixing with the plebes in his chariot's outfit, his charioteer's outfit, or standing up in his chariot. As a result, guilty though these people were and deserving exemplary punishment, pity for them began to well up because it was felt that they were being exterminated, not for the public good, but to gratify one man's cruelty. Now, the cruelty of Nero and his possible insanity and so forth are pretty well known, but what I find really striking here is just uh, leaving aside Nero, the contempt with mm -hmm. which Tacitus writes about the Christians, and he hates Nero. And he doesn't even like Rome. He thinks Rome has become decadent, right? Mm -hmm. you, you got that line about how mm -hmm. in Rome, everything that's abominable and shameful in the world flows together and gains popularity, yeah. right? Uh, and yet he absolutely despises, he deplores Christians, right? Refers to their hatred of mankind, their, um, what was the other said term? The, the curse of Judea. Yeah, that the curse, that this curse, right? He's just referring yeah. to Christianity as like this, this scourge hmm. that mm -hmm. it came out of Judea, yep. right? Um, so he's accurate. He has some accurate information about where it came from. He refers to their shameful offenses, right? So was was he a pagan? Was was he? Oh, Tabitha said this was yes. totally a pagan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he didn't like Nero, and he didn't like Christians, and so no. he was just writing from. I don't know if it's never neutral, but this more pagan perspective of. Christians. Well, and, and it's it's amazing, right, that he's somewhat dismayed. He's dismayed at Nero's excessive cruelty, hmm. not because he himself pities Christians. He thinks they deserve it. Right. But because it was so excessive that the other people started to pity the Christians, the other Romans started to pity the Christians. Wow. Okay. Right? Um, Why was there such hatred towards Christians? What, what was some of his prejudices? Uh, I think you said... Tacitus said Christians are guilty or ha their hatred of mankind. Their hatred of mankind, yeah. Wow. What, yeah. Why was there such uh, prejudice against Christians? Yeah, that's okay. That's that's really good. And there's there's probably too much actually to talk about here. And okay. we have to we have to kind of you know connect certain dots and so forth to Tacitus. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit more broadly about um, early Greco-Roman pagan views of Christians, negative views of Christians. Um, many of which I do think we see echoed here in Tacitus. So for example, he says that these people um, uh, commit shameful offenses. Mm -hmm. And this seems to um, align with things that we continue to hear um, throughout the second century and into the third, uh, these rumors that Christians um, were practitioners of cannibalism and of incest, mm -hmm. right? Now, why cannibalism and incest? Um, well, because if you sort of hear garbled, distorted rumors about the Eucharist, mm -hmm. right, about mm -hmm. eating mm -hmm. uh, the Son of God, right, then you can see where, um, you know, a mind that's inclined to think the worst and maybe, you know, uh, rumors start to get embellished yes. and so on and so forth. Interesting. Um, so that's that's one thing. This was a stock accusation of Christians is that they were that they were cannibalistic. Which as a side note, is a great defense for the Eucharist, for the, the Catholic. And the centrality of it. In, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
And then with incest, right, uh, Christians have always used this familial language of referring to each other as brother and sister and um, talking about um, having, they talk about love all the time, the kiss of peace and so on. So it seems to be these sort of distortions. And that goes back to our Lord, right? If you think Mm -hmm. about um, in, uh, in his trial at, um, uh, before the Sanhedrin, when they bring forward these false witnesses who are garbling uh, things that Jesus really did say, right? So Jesus mm-hmm. really did say, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they didn't realize who was speaking the temple of his body. We hear that in John chapter two. Um, but in the synoptics, when we read about um, his trial, they're bringing forth these witnesses who are saying that um, he said he would destroy the temple, right? And so, um, you know, from the beginning, we 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 get these sort of distortions of yes. of um, what Jesus said, and then and then of what uh, his followers do. Yes, I'm thinking of that simple child's game of telephone, where it starts as a source and then it you pass the word. Yeah, of course. Gets, yeah, um, yeah. Mis- and of course, this we we still struggle with this, right? Today, yeah. um, when we think about uh, hatred among different groups, and um, you know what what's unknown can be frightening. Um, and then, you know, what's, what's misunderstood can easily be distorted in the worst possible ways. And, and we have yeah. this terrible tendency to assume the worst, mm. right? Um, instead of doing what charity demands, which is always to impute the best motives um, to others. Yeah, the other thing I do want to point out that Tacitus said is something you mentioned, Mary, which is the, um, the hate, their hatred of mankind. Mm. And that's a, that's a really astonishing thing. And, and again, it's, it's, um, it would take a lot of work, I think, to kind of untangle exactly what Tacitus meant by that. But I think, again, that fits into a wider criticism of, of Christianity, that they are um, a kind of threat to the social order of the Roman Empire, to the, the fabric of society. Well, in, in what sense? Well, for one thing, Christians preach... Um, quite stridently, a morality that is way out of step hmm. with enlightened Roman opinion. In fact, elsewhere, Tacitus talks about how much uh, he despises Jews uh, for a number of different reasons, one of which is that they keep all their children. Oh, interesting. That they don't practice abortion, abortion. and they don't practice um, infanticide, that they don't expose unwanted infants. And he thinks any civilized person does these things, hmm. right? Uh, they also insist on uh, sexual morality in a way that was virtually unheard of in the Greco-Roman context, right? Um, and uh, you know, and, and that that can be offensive to people when hmm. we when we have these teachings that um, indeed are hard, right? right? Uh, if you're in a culture that actually prizes the opposite of these these teachings, and then I think even more deeply their insistence uh, with uh, Jews on the um, the oneness of God, right? That uh, the God of Israel is the only true God and that the gods of the nations um, are not, right? Mm-hmm. Or are mm-hmm. demons, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you understand the way that uh, civil religion was simply mixed into, it was woven into the social and political life of the Roman Empire, you start to understand why this could be seen as a real threat, something that is actually undermining um, social order, mm-hmm. right? And of course, mm-hmm. Christians, uh, this is why you have this this um, tradition of the apologists who mount defenses for why what they're doing, um, in fact, is is not deleterious to the social order, but it, um, but actually can strengthen it and can mm-hmm. purify it and can even elevate it into um, into something unexpected. Yes, indeed. That's a good reminder that the Christians, if we are living it right, we are going against the grain. And it's 
interesting to see from the very beginning, uh, the first martyrs of the Church of Rome mm-hmm. uh, had this reputation as well um, mm. of of just going against the grain and being that salt, salt in the world. How many martyrs, how many of them died? Do we know a number that... We don't know. Okay. No, we don't know. Um, and, and you said the fire, so the fire lasts five <clears throat> days. They didn't die in the fire. They died no. as scapegoats yes. for causing the fire. Trying to cause the fire. That's um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there, one possible early reference to them is found in um, the letter of Pope St. Clement to the mm-hmm. church in Corinth. Um, and early on, he talks about um, the deaths of both Peter and Paul and then how they were surrounded by a throng of the elect. Um, and then there, it's even possible there's a couple of female names in the text, but scholars have no agreement about what he's referring to. It's possible, although I don't actually think it's likely that he's naming two specific uh, Christian women uh, who were martyred. But we, we don't mm-hmm. really know much about um, about the numbers. I do think that if you want to get close to finding names for them, you should turn to the end of the book of Romans, mm. right? St. Paul's letter to the Romans, where he's yes. writing to the same community just, you know, a decade or so earlier. Yes. No, that is fascinating to ponder that they were, they had read the the book or the letters that St. Paul uh, wrote to them um, and not too long after gave, gave their lives for the church is, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Are there other scriptural references of the, of these martyrs? Well, um, not directly, um, you know. So at the end of First Peter, in First Peter five thirteen, I think um, Peter, who's actually writing to Christians in Asia Minor in modern mm-hmm. day Turkey, um, <clears throat> says, "She who is in Babylon greets you." Hmm. Okay. Now the she there um, seems to refer to uh, the church, the ecclesia, right, mm-hmm. uh, which is a feminine noun, um, and uh, and um, um, right refers to the church uh, right. in Rome. Uh, oh, sorry. And then I should say in Babylon, well, that seems to refer to Rome, right? Babylon is sort of the quintessential mm-hmm. pagan empire that oppresses God's people in the Bible. And you see other similar conflations in the Bible between Assyria and Babylon and Persia, because the point is that it's all the same reality of uh, men who exalt themselves against God and against his elect, uh, just like Lucifer did in, mm-hmm. in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And so if Rome has turned itself against uh uh, against Christians, then in that sense, Rome becomes Babylon. And so um, uh, many people think that this is a reference to not only to the church in Rome, right? But by calling it Babylon, it indicates that the the, the heat was getting turned up there, right? Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, I, you know, th- uh, are there other historical references to it? Uh, many people think that um, that Nero is being referred to in the book of Revelation, right? With the, mm. the number 666, this seems to be a gematria where you have numerical values that correspond to the letters and Nero and Caesar, hmm. uh, so Nero Caesar adds up to 666. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's actually a lot we could talk about um, with yep. this persecution in Revelation. But mm-hmm. what I find um, really interesting since we were just mentioning Peter and Paul, yes. um, who, who both were also, it's not clear whether they died in this particular outbreak of persecution, but um, they both are said to have died under um, Nero, right? Paul through beheading since he was a citizen and uh, Peter through being crucified and then according to tradition, upside down. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, what's interesting is we celebrate this feast on June 30th, which is the day after what? Uh, the solemnity yes. of St. Peter and Paul. Yeah, exactly. And so the church invites us sort of liturgically to consider these feasts in connection mm-hmm. with each other. And mm-hmm. this has been a powerful thing for me in thinking about 
this feast um, over the years because not only are Peter and Paul going to die under the same um, under the same emperor and possibly even in this this sort of outbreak of um, of persecution that Tacitus uh, records. Um, but both Peter and Paul, of course, had had ministries mm -hmm. in Rome. This is why uh, the Roman See is um, uh, is the throne of the successor of uh, of Saint Peter. Uh, the fathers love to talk about how Peter and Paul sanctified the city of Rome through the shedding of their blood. Yes. Um, but also to think about how each of them, in their own way, whatever their prophetic premonitions about the coming persecution might have been, how they prepared the Christians in Rome for this experience, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think, let's let's think just first about Paul, um, who didn't found the city of Rome, but who wrote this letter to the Romans um, because they were, they were having difficulty themselves achieving the unity in Christ that we're meant to have, especially between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. But if you think about some of the passages in Romans in light of what was going to happen, it mm -hmm. becomes very powerful, right? So one of them I won't read because uh, everyone should read it themselves. It's the first <laughs> reading at Mass, if you use the special readings for this feast. Um, that's the end of Romans chapter 8, um, starting in verse 31 and going to the end in verse 39. It's a wonderful passage. Everyone should read that in their Bibles. But I want to turn a little bit earlier in Romans 8 to when um, Paul says this, he says, you did not receive, this is starting in verse 15, you did not receive this, the, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, mm. provided we suffer with him, mm in order that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow. Right? Yep. And, um, and just to think about that passage, that surely many of these first martyrs of Rome had heard, read, and had meditated on over and treasured, right, as this gift from the Apostle Paul. And how many of them must have been thinking of those very words when they were being tortured, when they were being killed, and to recognize that they'd been given the spirit of the Son of God and that their sonship is not something that Nero could take away. Mm, yes. Right. No, that is beautiful. And you hear the phrase martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, mm. particularly in Rome. Um, as you mentioned, Paul and Peter um, were murdered there. And I, th I just, I ponder the, that mystery of why is that true? Why are, why is the blood of the martyrs the seed of the church? And I think to what you're saying, it, it shows how sometimes very literally we are called to lay down our life. I mean, we're always called to lay down our life, but how literally we, we could be called to, to die for the Lord and mm -hmm. not just, you know, emotional, but sometimes a physical death um, in obedience to being a Christian today. Uh, it's so beautiful. And I, I, the, particularly the the blood of these first martyrs of the Church of Rome um, seem to have a special honor, being Rome being just the heart of our church as well. Absolutely. Any additional thought or you know meditation on the on these martyrs of well, how they can inspire us today as we live our lives as Catholics? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned the Book of Revelation earlier, and one of the things that strikes me um, in that text, which which does contemplate the reality of of red martyrdom, 
but um, especially in in um, in the letters of our Lord to the seven churches of Asia in chapters two and three, um, just the the kind of sense of the daily grind of being faithful, right? So mm. the, the the martyrs, the first martyrs of the Church of Rome, you know, I mentioned how Peter also prepared them, especially through what, what's written in Mark, which records Peter's preaching in Rome mm. and the urgency there of this call to take up the cross. And yes. when we were reading from Tacitus, I was thinking of that, how those whom Nero crucified literally were called to literally follow that. Mm. But that also, even in Mark, there's this sense that this is something to do every day. And in a way, um, th- th- it's a different kind of challenge mm-hmm. to recognize how we're asked to take up our cross and bear witness and mm-hmm. therefore to be martyrs uh, to the gospel, to bear testimony to Christ uh, every day, even in these ways that don't seem extraordinary and that might seem um, almost futile or uh, mm-hmm. not possibly meaningless, but that, that that too is a seed that can fall on the ground and die and be united to um, to our Lord's uh, sacrifice and that, mm-hmm. that can also um, bring um, you know growth that we might not even see in our lifetimes. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Seahorn, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Catholic Saints. And first martyrs of the Church of Rome, pray for us. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.